The reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise for spiritual blessings in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. take this opportunity then to look a little closer into the passage. Uh, the songs have been so wonderfully and well chosen to uh, also add to explanation understanding of this letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And it's a great privilege to be able to begin to uh, share with you about this particular letter, knowing that in coming weeks you'll be working through it more and more. I think that when Paul wrote to a church, one of the exciting things is that in so many cases, he wasn't just sort of writing to nameless and faceless people. I wonder when he writes this letter, whether he's thinking of the time in Acts 19 when he was there at Ephesus, I wonder if he's thinking about those 12 men who he began to gather together and the way that they'd received the ministry of John the Baptist but didn't really know much about Jesus and how he is able to take them further down the road. We know that more people became Christians. We know he set up, shall we say, perhaps the first Bible school, certainly in Ephesus, because he started to gather people and he taught them daily 
they came together. There, there were uh, opposition figures who tried to stop him, but that didn't stop him in fact. He still continued to share the word of God. And one of the things that he says when he has to leave them, and he's ever so disappointed to leave them, there's a great sort of sense of emotion. He says, but I have declared to you the whole counsel of God. Now, that's a brave thing to say. I'm sure that all who are ministers, I'm sure Phil would love to say that when the time comes for him to move on. But whenever that may be, to be able to declare, I have declared to you, I have shared with you the whole counsel of God. And Paul was able to say that. So in some ways you could say, well, if he was there all those years and he did the Bible school, and of course Jesus is going to have a message for this church, when you look at the early chapters of Revelation, why, why did he feel the need to write a letter? I mean, hasn't he said it all? No, he is going to write the letter because there are other issues that he wants to uh, elaborate on and give more clarity on. He describes the people as God's holy people, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The way that Paul talks about the church throughout all of his ministry is in a very endearing way and a very much a sense, these are not my people, these are not your church and this and that. It, it's God's holy people. And he has this very deep heart and awareness that the people of God belong to God. And everything he teaches is to encourage them, don't give yourself to anyone else. Don't give yourself to anything else. You make sure being holy to God is, yes, it is about righteousness. It is about doing the right thing, living the right way. But it's very much about saying, I know where I belong. I know where I belong. And we thank God for his love for the church. And then he goes into various issues, uh, various subjects, which are very complicated sometimes. And uh, theologians have had great debates about being chosen, about being predestined, uh, the elect, and all of these things. But I, I believe there is a simple approach, which is not naive. I believe sometimes we get overcomplicated. He says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I believe that's important because there are some today who would want to give the impression, oh, come to Jesus and you'll be a millionaire. Uh, come to Jesus and all these physical benefits, material benefits, you'll never ever uh, go hungry or whatever. And that, although God is gracious and often does those sorts of things, we know that there are many a people who love Jesus as much as we do, if not more, who are handling very, very complicated and very dangerous and very painful physical situations. 
So Paul isn't ignoring that, but he's saying, you have every spiritual blessing. All that you need to have a relationship and a walk with God, all that you need to actually sustain you through this life until the day that you go home to heaven, everything is there provided. And one of the things I like personally about this sort of passage is that whoever you are standing in front of, you could be standing in front of people in absolute abject poverty, in terrible need, sometimes are wondering if there's going to be a knock on the door and somebody accuse them of blasphemy or whatever. But we are able to say every spiritual blessing is yours. And in fact, spiritually, you are far richer than those who seem to have great material wealth. And then he says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I just offer uh, a personal insight, a humble insight. I think that what is very important about this is just to enjoy the fact that God has chosen you. If you go into the realm of, well, why me? I feel so bad, I feel so uh, unworthy. Or you might also go into the realms of, well, what about them? Have they been chosen? But I don't think the message about being chosen is a message to stir us to think about who isn't and who is. It's more to actually enjoy God chose me. I will never get my head around that. I'll never be able to explain why he chose me, why he chose you. But I don't have to. I just need to say, I'm amazed. Elaine chose me, I chose Elaine in time. But when did God make his choice? It wasn't in 1973 or wherever. Before the foundation of the earth, before creation, he chose us. He must love us a lot. He chose us as an eternal God long before our time in history has come and goes. But that is the wonder of God. He chose us. And he chose us again. You have that word holy. Chose us to be holy. Holy his. He wanted us. And again, we will never, never fully be able to understand that. We'll appreciate it because we've got eternity. But uh, it's great to be able to appreciate the wonder. God wants me. I'm sure that many of you have been in situations where perhaps you were at school and teams were chosen and this one was chosen and this one was chosen and you're still standing. Is he going to choose me? Is someone going to choose me? And you have all that sort of sense of perhaps feeling rejected. But God chose you. He wants you. And uh, that's just great. We read that... uh, In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. This is the wonder again of our living God. He predestined us to be adopted. Again, predestination uh, is a fairly sort of controversial subject. And some people take it with the kind of line of, 
well, because everything's predestined, you don't have any choice. And uh, it's all sort of mapped out and uh, you just have to run along with it. Well, there's more to it than that. God, of course, does know everything. God does know the beginning and the end. He does know all of what's ahead of us. But when you look at the passage, it says that he predestined us for adoption to sonship in accordance with his pleasure and will. And just as I will never understand why God chose me, what I can understand is that he has plans for me. He has plans for my life. And those are plans that, again, go back to eternity. But one of the things that's so important is that we often think of what we want to do and then we will ask God whether he could possibly fit that into his plans. But what we are seeing here, I believe what we're seeing in this word predestined is God has plans. He's got the right plans. He's got the best plans. Sometimes we struggle and sometimes we go down sort of uh, dead-end alleyways and we have to come back and discover that his plan was the best. But he, above all, wanted us to come into relationship where we know God as Father. And we've already mentioned that this passage has the sense of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all working together very, very smoothly. And God's heart for you, his plan for you, is not just in terms of a list of tasks that he's sort of going to drop on you one day, and this is, I want you to do all these things. What God's plan, what he is predestined, what he desires for us, is to enjoy relationship with him, to really understand what it means to be a child of God. A daughter of God, a son of God. That's his plan. And yes, we will do this and we will do that. And he will open this door and that door. But but that's not what it's all about. All of those things are discovering what a wonderful father we have in heaven. I can remember in the early days of Living Hope, I'd gone through quite a difficult time before that. And the Lord was opening all these doors and all these wonderful things were happening and seeing people come to know the Lord Jesus and seeing people testify to being healed. And, you know, I just thought it was like my heavenly father giving me a treat. You know how sometimes when your child is down and out and feeling a bit miserable and you might take them out and say, well, come on, let's go to your favorite, I won't advertise anything, but let's go to your favorite eating place and, and I will buy you something just to show that I know it's tough. And, and I really thought that my heavenly dad was just giving me just a whale of a time, a wonderful time. And then I, I discovered, well, yes, yes he was, but actually it was his plan that he would start to take me to nation after nation and the various things that you've seen. He's a wonderful dad. He's a fantastic father. And, well, sometimes we are so sad that we misinterpret some of the things that happen as that God is rather nasty and really wants uh, some horrible things to happen to us. 
So dreadful, but we can all be guilty of it. But he's a good father. Adopted. Not there by right, not there by birth, but being born again of the Holy Spirit enables us to come to Christ. Glorious grace. Even though uh, there's so many things, you have to mention this, don't you? Glorious grace. Uh, Paul could have just written grace, and grace of God is glorious. But it's good how sometimes we have abundant grace, exceeding grace, and here we have glorious grace. Because Paul never forgot how much God had taken him from a pathway of destruction, seeking to destroy, seeking to uh, bring Christians to justice, to prison, whatever, even to death. And he lives the whole of his life and ministry saying, I am the chief of sinners. I am so grateful for what you did. You didn't have to do it. It was your mercy. It was your kindness. I didn't deserve anything from you. But we don't have to try to round up Christians and persecute them to enjoy glorious grace. Glorious grace is just knowing what we're really like and also appreciating that even though God knows exactly what we're like, he says, I love you and I want you and I've got plans for you. And that is so, so encouraging. In him we have redemption. This is another very powerful phrase and uh, it certainly came up in one or two of the songs We know that uh, Paul will go into it in more detail in other places. But he's just drawing our attention again to this reality that we were born with a sinful nature. No one ever taught you how to sin. That came just naturally, sadly. But we were born in the kingdom of darkness. We were born in Satan's kingdom. And a price was required to get us out of that kingdom, out of that darkness, so that we could come to know God. And the price was heavy. The price was massive. Because it was only through Jesus shedding his blood and dying for us that we could be set free from the slavery of sin, from the fear of death, from the judgment of hell that we deserve. There was only one price. It had to be the blood of Jesus. And he shed his blood for us. Paul talks about something which, uh, well, we're going to see it one day. I don't know how much we can grasp grasp of it this side of heaven. But he says, God's got this wonderful plan to bring everything together in Christ. And he's working and he's moving and all that's going on in the world, it's coming to a head when one day Jesus will be acknowledged as Lord and King and Saviour and all that he is, everything's going to come together. It's like all the parts are there, but when Jesus comes and when the end of time comes, everything is going to be in unity There'll be no sin in heaven. 
There'll be no rebellion in heaven. And there's hints about rebellion because that's why we need to be adopted into God's family. That's why we need to be redeemed. That's why God chose us so that we would come out of the old and into the new. But all of, all of these things are heading up in Christ. And uh, I like what uh, Cliff Richard once said when he was asked something about what heaven was like. Not that he'd been there, of course. But he was asked, well, well what is heaven like? And he said, it's to be with Jesus. It's to be with Jesus. So he didn't think about uh, you know, the wonderful food that will be dished up. And he didn't think about sort of uh, being able to go to Mars in a couple of seconds rather than months. He didn't, that wasn't his preoccupation. What he was thinking about was, I will be with Jesus. And I think that's something of what Paul is saying here. This is where it all heads up. The only person we will want in heaven is Jesus. The only thing that we will really long for is is Jesus. And we don't have to long too much because he's there. But you see, he is the center. Sometimes people talk about, well, you know, I won't have to go to work anymore. Well, I don't know. That's a fairly sort of poor reason for looking forward to heaven. And there could be other things. But here's the best reason to go to be with Jesus. Very quickly, we read that he says, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Paul is an apostle. He's a pastor in some ways. He's a teacher. But he's also an evangelist. And he's just saying, the way that you came into this place of receiving every blessing in Christ Jesus, the way that you came to understand you were chosen, you were predestined, God has plans for you. All of that came about because one day you heard the gospel. One day you heard the gospel, perhaps through Paul himself. You heard the good news that Jesus died for your sins. You heard the news that you needed God's forgiveness. You needed to come to Christ. And you responded. You said, Jesus, come into my life. You responded. You, you took on the truth of the gospel. And again, so exciting to share the gospel, even yesterday, with uh, my dear friend Aubrey in Malawi. He's in a remote village. You never find these places on the map. And we're sharing the gospel. And he says, people are coming forward. They want to receive Jesus. Of course, they need to be disciples. They need to read Ephesians 1. But they've made a start. And people made a start. I hope that as you're watching this, that you've made the start. You can't really get hold of these wonderful truths if you've never made the start. You need to say, I respond to Jesus. Today, as never before, I understand he died for me. He shed his blood for me. And I need his forgiveness. And if you're even 
sharing that in your heart right now as you watch, I would encourage you to get in touch with Phil or one of the members of the leadership team here and say, this was the day that I received the gospel. I'd heard the gospel for years and I I knew a lot about the Bible, but today was the day that I said, I will believe in Jesus personally. And this little section ends with Paul saying, it's all sealed because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we still get Christmas cards that somebody has just folded the sort of a, a bit of the envelope inside rather than licking and sealing it. But I think most of us, without any distrust of postmen, most of us know that there is a value in sticking it down. And God knows there's great value as we come to Jesus to seal that commitment that we've made with the work of his Holy Spirit. And he becomes a deposit. He becomes a first fruit of inheritance. I don't know if you've had an inheritance or whether you're leaving an inheritance, but Ephesians 1, 1 to 14 is a description of an inheritance that we taste now and that we will taste in fullness when we see Jesus face to face. May God bless you and speak to you and encourage you. And I know you look forward to being with each other next week. God bless you.